How's everybody doing today? You know, we just finished 24 hours of prayer. I must confess, I was not here for the whole 24 hours. In fact, I was only here for two hours, which I love. I love the fact that the body is owning the work of the ministry, you know, the pursuit of God. This is not something for professional people. This is for the believing community. And we champion different things as they're in our hearts and just so delighted to feel the atmosphere of welcome to the Spirit of God. And uh, man, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I tell you, I feel like there's such an alignment between heaven and earth that's coming. And there's no end. There's no limit to the measure of the beauty of God that can descend on a group of people that are drawing near to him. And uh, we want to be part of that expression of the earth that is exploring just how good can it get? Just how, how near can he come? Amen? So the spirit and the bride say come. And so all of our worship is saying, Lord, we want to draw near to you. We want you to draw near to us. Because in you is life. In you is life. You are consummate love and life. And one micron closer to you means more of that life in me, touching me. So, Father, as we worship you today, we want to say we welcome you in this place. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to fill this place with the glory, the beauty, the knowledge of Christ. Let's worship him today. great, oh God. I want to encourage you this morning to take every advantage of the moment that's before you right now. You know, over the course of a Christian life, often we, we can count on our hands, one hand, transformative watershed moments. Uh, listen carefully. We can count on our hands life-changing, transformative moments. I mean, we can have an experience week to week with God, but that quantum shift moment that happens only occasionally, what if it could happen more often? What if you could have 10 to 15 to 20 
life-changing moments instead of two, instead of three? What are the highlights of your Christian life? What is the central point of your testimony when everything changed? When we serve a God who's beyond our imagination, that we can't even perceive, we can't even think, we can't even imagine how great He is, what are we leaving on the table? There's an invitation given to us to pursue Him and to seek Him. And Paul, above all others, seemed to have an insight into the mystery of God. And yet he encouraged people. He said, press toward the mark of the high calling. He says, listen, I don't consider that I've attained, but this one thing I do, I continue to press And nobody's here to say, hey, do this, do this, do this. We're saying there's an opportunity to be had, to be enjoyed. And we're creating an opportunity. And we're saying, man, oh, how tragic it would be if to look back and we, we could see, oh, I came so close right there and right there and right there and right there. If I'd only just pushed in a little more. So, Father, we ask today for the grace that Paul was talking about to pursue you even more. Lord, to make most of the opportunities that are before us today. God, we have an invitation to taste and see the goodness of God. Lord, we want to leave nothing on the table. So, Lord, let's just take a couple more minutes to just, just lean in. Say, God, God, I want this grace. I want a heart that says, I will seek you. You know the old school 3D where you saw a red image and you saw a blue image and you had to see both and then it would come to life in 3D? I feel like that's this moment. We have this image that's a static image of who God is, but a blue image is coming in, a revelation of who God is. And in this moment, these two images can line up and a revelation of God can be released. So now, press in now. Pray like you've never prayed right now. Call out on the God right now. For a couple of minutes right now it matters right now pray now pour out your heart now raise your voice now cry out to god now now it matters right now right now there's something that god wants to resolve in our hearts around seeking him and there is, there is a fear and a pride inside of man that keeps us from giving our all. It's, it's that, that thing around unrequited love. It's the, uh, 
the egg on your face feeling, you know, when you've reached out and there's no response on the other side and you feel like you've laid it all on the line and you're like naked there and the other person doesn't respond. And we've all seen sitcoms about it, you know, where, you know, stories where there's a relationship and it's coming along and one person says, I love you prematurely and the other person doesn't respond and and the awkwardness and the barrenness that that person feels as they've revealed their heart and there's no response on the other side and we joke about it but it's a real issue there's something of deep insecurity inside of us that we don't want to be the ones that are exposed but I tell you in this relationship we must be the ones that are exposed because God has already exposed himself. He has already laid himself out. He has already made every effort. And that's why he says, if you draw near to me, I'm going to respond. It's not you waiting for me. It's me waiting for you, says the Lord. So humble yourself. And when we're telling you to press in and to reach out to God, we're not overcoming God's reluctance. We're overcoming our reluctance. He's not reluctant. We are. We don't have the ability to give it all. We really don't. And he's trying to pull us over a line so that our hearts fully engage with him. Oh, God. Oh God, oh God, we pray, we pray that you would change our hearts. Oh God, we say we want to cry out. We want to love you with all our strength. We lay down. Listen, we're not, we're not just being emotional. There is a joy of the Lord that you can actually access. And it's here in the room. I can feel it in this room. There is a happiness of God. Drink it in. Respond to it. Respond to Him. He loves it when the family enjoys His grace, His love, His his presence, His goodness. Lord, we want to enjoy you. We say you are a good God. You are a good God. You are a good God. Such a good God. Father, we want to thank you. That unspeakable riches, joy, everlasting is available to us. Lord, you have set a table before us and we can eat. We can taste and see that, God, you are good. So, Lord, I pray that no one will ever find themselves standing in the corner away from the table wondering if they belong, wondering if it's real. You know, Cam, you're going to have to tell the story, but come on up here. 
in the in the line the rich in the wardrobe, I think. So there's a hut at the end. All the dwarves are locked up inside, and there's some of the the heroes from Narnia are in there as well. And Aslan comes in, and he Lucy begs Aslan, "Could you do something? Show them that you're present." And the dwarves were just sitting in a circle, all huddled together, and they're basically the dwarves are for the dwarves. And Aslan says to Lucy, "At most." I can breathe on them. And he breathes on them, and they get this, oh, what is that? They could perceive a little, but they could not recognize glory right in front of them. They couldn't see Aslan right there. And there was a, there was a table set. There was a feast available. And they rejected it. They, they, they called it. They saw it as something else entirely. Every time we taste and see the Lord is good, not everybody sees the same thing. And you don't want to find yourself on the wrong side of that table. God, open our eyes. That's what you want to say. God, open my eyes. Lord, if, if this is more than an emotional catharsis, that a bunch of, you know, enthusiastic, oh, I remember when I was young, I used to get excited. If, Father, if this is more than that, deliver us, God. I pray in Jesus' name. You know, when David worshipped God with all of his might before Israel, his wife painted it a certain way. She said, it, it's this. You, oh, Mr. Hero David. There you are again. Parading in front of you. You know, haven't you had enough of being the hero? Now you got to strip down in front of all the, the maids and, you know... And she saw everything as this egocentric, narcissistic expression. Isn't it enough that you're the king and you have the best of everything? You've got to be worshipped? And he's like, what? That's what you saw? Wow. That's not what that was. I'm going to talk about this later. That's not what this was. And because you're calling it something it isn't, because you don't see what it is, man, the Lord said, you'll be barren. That wasn't David's decision. That was the Lord. But she was already barren spiritually. She was already. But, you know, her poverty became evident in the natural. So, Father, I don't want to be on the wrong side of these stories. Can you pray that with me right now? I mean, this is serious. Father, I want to give up my perspective, my judgmental, religious, accusing, envious uh, perspective that causes me to paint situations in a way that they might not be. Father, give me eyes to see. Give me clear vision so as to not accuse my brothers and my sisters. You know, I want to tell you one, one of my most embarrassing stories. I was a Bible college student, and I was in a church. And at the time, God was doing something in me. He was, he was erasing pretentious duplicity. He was calling me to be, to be honest in terms of of what was happening and not to play to the crowd. 
And because he was showing that to me, in me, about me, I always, I just assumed, oh, everybody's pretending then. Everybody is, you know. Remember, you know, Peter and John got very vastly different sort of words, right? You know, and Peter got this really bad word, and Peter said, what about him? (laughs) And the Lord said, yeah, what's that to you? Follow me, you know, serve me. In other words, listen, he might be on an entirely different chapter than you. Don't paint him with your brush. And we do that to each other all the time. So anyway, I decided in this church that there's this one senior leader up there, and I thought, ah, man, he's, he's a little too flamboyant, you know, for, for authentic. I thought, you know, nobody can be that happy and da-da-da. He's playing to the crowd. So I deemed it appropriate to write him a note on behalf of the Lord <laughs> to tell him to stop parading. Love does not parade itself or something. Ouch, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Ouch. Now, I was, you know, 20 years old and stupid. Knew nothing. But we can spend our whole lives with those mindsets trapped. Or we can come out. And there's an invitation to come out. And so it's not about regrets. It's not about uh, condemn. Yeah, it's a little embarrassing. It's still a little embarrassing when I think about it. But it is what it is. We did stupid things. We did things in the name of God that weren't the Lord, that were our, you know. Here's another one. Here's another one. We had two dormitories, one for girls between 18 and 20 and one for the older women. Over 20. <laughs> anyway, I always would go to the, 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 the younger dorm and hang out there all the time and, you know, always, you know, endearing myself to the girls with, you know, encouraging them, telling them how wonderful, how beautiful they were and, and whatnot. And I'd get cookies for my troubles. But I remember this friend of mine started really, I mean, he was flattering. I mean, flat out flattering. And I thought, man, this is embarrassing. You know, this, and it annoyed me. It really annoyed me. I thought, he's taking advantage of our poor and secure sisters. And, and I can see they're all really liking him. I need to set him straight. So I went and talked to him, telling him, you know what? You know, I understand encouragement, but this is verging on flattery. And, you know, you're, 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 you're playing with the sisters' hearts. And I did that out of pure selfless motive. <laughs> I mean, I, I no sooner had the words out of my mouth when it just that awkwardness of I could feel the true intention as I was saying it. I was, oh, how embarrassing. So, Father, give us eyes to see, to begin with, to see our own hearts. If we see our own hearts, Clearly, we'll start to see the world around us clearly. Amen. Well, what a great day. Can you feel uh, the difference in the atmosphere? It's like, oh, man, do we have to pray 24 hours every Saturday, Friday, for that to work? No, but more prayer is important. I mean... 
You know, your, your, your proximity to God is determined by you. The ability to connect with God, to be in intimate places of his presence, is something you cultivate throughout the week. Uh, by being in the Word, by being in worship, by being in fellowship. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a fact, right? You know those escalators, automatic escalators that are going up? The nature of the world around us is such that that escalator is always going down. And we have, to, we have to actively be going the opposite way. If you're just standing still on that thing, you'll end up at the bottom. And so spiritually, if you're not cultivating an atmosphere around you, there's weight being added to you. You're being pulled down constantly. And so I want to urge you, uh, man, be, learn to be vital. Learn to be alive. Learn to cultivate an awareness of that, those heaviness, that, you know, emotional things, spiritual heaviness, sin, these things that creep and weigh you down, it's up to you. You can actually live free of that. And there's something powerful when you begin to realize that your life day to day isn't an accident, that you can be intentional about your place, where you are. So Father, I pray today, uh, God, that we could... uh, Lord, thank you we bask in this, this 24 hours of prayer and the effect of that and the refreshing that it brings. But Lord, uh, may we not uh, think of it as a, a one-shot, accidental occurrence. But Father, we can draw near to you and you will draw near to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I've got a couple things I want to share about today. I'm going to touch on something called the mystery of the fellowship, the mystery of the fellowship. And I'm not talking Lord of the Rings. It's not the mystery of the fellowship of the ring. It's the mystery of fellowship with God. God, man, there's so many things we could talk about. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you, know, you know, it says, you know, that phrase when we use in marriage, we said, said, you know, we're talking about the union when the two shall become one. And in Ephesians, you know, 6 talked about that. It says, this is a mystery, Right? But he said, but I speak concerning Christ and his church, that a father, a, 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 one will leave the, their parents and be knit to their spouse, right? What is he talking about? If, it's, if it says, this is a mystery, what's, it, what's the mystery? Is it the, the union between the man and woman? No. It's, the mystery is the union between Jesus and his church. You know what we don't understand? This may rock your world. But Jesus made a decision to leave the Father to be joined to his bride. Mystery of fellowship. I don't know what all of the ramifications of that are. But I'm telling you, if it's a mystery and if it's like a daughter or son leaving their parents to be joined to their wife and said, this is a mystery concerning Christ and the church, that means there's parallels all across the board between the relationship that Jesus had with his father before and the relationship after. It's a big wake-up call for parents when their kids get married, oftentimes. 
my little Johnny is not tending to me all the time in the same way it was before. It's a different dynamic. He is now with his wife. He is, he is connected to her, not only time, but emotionally, relationally, in terms of source. I mean, it's a whole different ballgame. The mystery of fellowship. We have been invited into something with Jesus as the church of Jesus Christ that we don't even understand. I don't understand. But Paul talks about the fact that he understands it. Yeah, he kind of breaks. He said, listen, if you, if you would read the words that I'm writing to you, he's, he's saying this for those who are not calling him a false apostle. You know, see, he's not really an apostle. He wasn't there. And he said, listen, read what I say, and you can get some insight into, my, into the, uh, uh, or some, some revelation into my insight into the mystery of Christ. In other words, you're going to see that I know things that I couldn't possibly know because you guys don't even know this. So anyway, we're going to touch on a couple of those things because we've been called to something and we don't understand what it is. And because we don't understand this, we're not getting the most out of it. But the generation that's coming and the promise we have is that there's a generation who who are going to experience a fullness. I want to be part of that. And if, if I can't be because I'm born in the wrong time, you know, and I'm not going to be around because I'd like to think Jesus is coming in my day. But I, I have no guarantees. I've asked the Lord. He's uh, not responded. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but if I can't be in, alive in that generation, though I believe I am, and I think you should believe you are too. Certainly uh, it creates a wonderful urgency. But regardless... Uh, I want to be a part of preparing the next generation to be that generation. And so, to that end, I'm just going to use uh, this little analogy. Paul tells us that we're to run a race, that he's running a race. Now, if I'm running a race, you're running a race. Let's, somebody says, hey, let's go run this race. What's the first thing you want to find out? Uh, how far? Where does it start? Where does it end? You know, of course, what day it is. But if you're running a race... You better know where the start line is and you better know where the finish is or you could be going in the wrong direction. Right? So we're running a race today. You are all. When you got born again, you were in a race. There's nothing... You know, we, uh, Christians are so weird. You know, <laughs> so sometimes we do this. We say, oh, you know, it's finished. That means there's nothing new. We use this, there's nothing new under the sun. And that's sort of code for saying, I, I got nothing left to discover. Uh, nothing can be further from the truth. Okay, this journey is always more information, more revelation, more insight, you know, because there's, there's a vast knowledge that's available that you could not in a million years absorb. So there's no way that you're done. Okay, now the finished work of Christ is done, but your capacity to understand that has barely even begun. Okay. So we need to get, it's funny because when I say that sometimes, when I talk about a journey, when I talk about acquiring things, when I talk about growing, it feels like there's this, no, we're all the same. You know, that's, that's kind of elitist. There's, you know, that some have more than others. Let me tell you, some have more than others. All right? And when we go to heaven, some are getting more than others. 
I remember there was almost a church division in a church I was in because somebody suggested that somebody wasn't getting the same as somebody else. What? Well, we don't just all get Philadelphia cream cheese and harps. (laughs) We're going to get different things. Different metrons of authority. Different glory. Different access. It's all different. I mean, if you think there's variety here, just wait till you get to heaven. So, There's this race that we're running. And we need to know what are the markers for where we're going because, you know, it's kind of like a businessman might do. If he goes into his company and realizes we're losing a bunch of money and you go in and you say, okay, we need to stop doing anything that doesn't doesn't fit into the core of what the business is, which is to make money. If we're selling a product, we need to strip away everything that's costing us so that we can streamline this thing so that we're actually pouring into the central purpose for what we exist, selling this product or creating this product. Well, similarly, there's so many distractions around us as the body of Christ, so many things we can give ourselves to, but I want you to know there's this one, this one thing. One thing is what is most important. And I didn't get that from IHOP. Got that from Jesus. <laughs> to know him. To know him. To know him. Well, I want to be a better Christian. Yeah, you can't be a better Christian unless you know him. Transformation is, you know, when, when you, in the natural, we think, okay, if I just knew how to do this better, then I would do it. So knowledge empowers behavior. But in the kingdom of God, knowledge doesn't just empower behavior. Knowledge empowers transformation, which makes alternate behavior impossible. The knowledge of God changes you so that you think differently. And when you think differently, you function according to the way you think. So as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what that means is this, is that when you have a sin problem in your life, you have a knowledge problem. I'm not talking knowledge is in information. I'm talking about the knowledge that is, is, is at the essence of who God is. That to know him is to receive his nature into you. And his nature is to not do the thing that you don't already want to do. So the fact that you want to do that thing means there's, what you need is transformation, not information. You know, we see this you know, to a measure in the natural, right? A lot of people know smoking's bad for them. doesn't help them quit. Right? You know, I, I know lots of things that are good for me. Right? should read more, watch TV less, read the Bible more, you know, study more, pray more, work out more, eat better, right? All of these things. We know what we should do. Well, in the, in the kingdom of God, the knowledge of God changes your nature. It changes your nature. So we're, we're going to see uh, in a second here why this is important. I'm going to do some loop-de-loops, if that's okay, because it's kind of a test. See if you know where I am. All right, let's go to Genesis. I want to, I want to show you, because we need to understand where we're starting from. And where we're starting from as fallen individuals is, is with a nature that responds in a certain way. And we need to understand how, that, how we've been programmed by the fallen nature. And, you know, again, if I reference the fallen nature, please don't say, oh, yeah, I'm a new creation. You know, I know that. 
But Paul also knew that. But he said, but there's no good thing that dwells in, in my flesh. And the thing that I want to do, I don't. And the thing that I don't want to do, that I do. Right? So, you know, the reality that you can be born again does not set aside the fact that you have flesh and you have competing priorities within you. It's a question of, well, how do you, how do you journey with those priorities? How do you make the shift so that the thing you should be doing is what you want to do? Which is through the knowledge of God, as we're going to see. So anyway, in, uh, we know what happened. You know, God creates Adam and Eve. They're in this wonderful uh, utopian garden, walking with God in the cool of the day, access unfettered to God, right? You know, God comes in the cool of the night and talks with them, and they have this amazing connection. But then they eat of the tree that they should not have eaten, which we know. And it's interesting. It is a tree of knowledge that they ate of, Right? And we need to understand this, that the knowledge they ate of is, is, uh, is com- standing in, in contradiction to the knowledge of God. That's why when you were, look at these scriptures in the New Testament, right? for example, John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they may know you. You know, that Jesus didn't say this has eternal life. He said this is eternal life, the knowledge of you, to know you. And as I get to know Ben... You know, I, I, Ben's a great guy. He's not perfect. But as I know him, his, my knowing him doesn't necessarily change me into his likeness. Though he wishes it did. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the kind of knowledge we're talking about, right, is, is, uh, is it, it causes an infusion of the nature of God into us. So he says, this is eternal life that you may know him. Well, we do know him. His name is God. No, no, no. Know him. Okay, tell me something else about him. No, no, no. To know him. And the closest parallel you can get is your, your marriage relationship. Right? I mean, where is uh, My wife was sitting back there. She's gone. I mean, I, I, I've known her for many years. But I know her now in a way I never knew her before. And because of that, there's a... You know, you're you're in sync in a way you just could never have been by virtue of a few attractive emotions. You know, it was that was the beginning point that brought us together. But now we really know. So there's this peace, this coexistence, this mutual ability to flow together, to connect, and and uh, it's just. Well, how did you get that? Well, over years of actually knowing. So there's a parallel there, but it's not quite the same as the knowledge of God. But God is, I mean, knowing God, to know God. Everything, well, what about evangelism? What about feeding the poor? What about church growth? What about da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da? Yes, all the above. Except none of those are made effective except through the knowledge of him. What makes your worship effective is that you know what you're worshiping. Right? I mean, that's what, that's what Paul was saying to the, the guys who were worshiping the, to the unknown God. He said, uh, let me declare him to you. This is the one you're worshiping here whom you don't know. It's hard to worship him if you don't know. And obviously, he's, you know, he's just using that as a leverage for his message. But, but it's true. is that when we say, all glory, you deserve the glory. Hello? When you see, you, when you say you deserve the glory, okay, you do it from the position of what you know about him. 
If you, if you realize that he's much, much bigger than you ever thought or imagined, and you get a revelation of him, you know, we can talk in language that are terms that are superlative, right? They're, they're infinite. But our knowledge is finite. And so when we say, you deserve all the glory, there's a, me- a limit to the measure of glory we are, we are depicting in our, with our words in our heart. It's according to what we know of him. And then when we see more of him, oh, to you be the glory. And suddenly you're ascribing more in the, that, though the words are exactly the same. So your knowledge of him empowers your worship. Your knowledge of him empowers your testimony. Your knowledge of him empowers everything that you do. So that's why the Father seeks those that worship him in spirit and in truth. Because he's saying, listen... He said, the most important thing is the interface that you have with me. Because as you grow, as the revelation of me increases in your life, then all the things that are there already are empowered to function as they should. So, the, uh, the tree that stole away our blessing, our utopian existence, was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we'll come back to that in a minute. In a minute, and uh, well, we might come back to it. We'll see. But anyway, the the effect of it is is fear entered in, and it says that um, in verse seven of Genesis uh, chapter three, it says, "Then the eyes of both of them were opened." We think, "Oh, that's a good thing, right?" No, it's not the kind of opening that you want. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from his presence. From the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? And he said, oh, oh, it's you. It's you. Oh, yeah. All right, yeah. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid, them, hid myself. And God said, you know, who told you you were naked? And so on. It goes up from there. But here's, here's the thing. The response of fear, the response of flight, is a manifestation of another knowledge. Let me say that again. The response of flight and the response of fear is itself the revelation, the, 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 the proof that there's something operating in you that wasn't operating before. And so I want to just say right now, uh, Lord, I pray that the revelation, the understanding of what it is we're dealing with as we are trying to walk with you, God, that all the things that call us, us to withdraw, to step back, to fear, God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would uh, show them for what they are. Now, I was thinking about this this morning because I, I began to feel like there was whispers of this word about the mystery of fellowship. I'm going to turn to Ephesians 3 in a minute, but I was thinking about the mystery of fellowship. And and we know, you know, okay, we have a relationship with God. You know, you want to get saved? You want to ask Jesus into your heart? And we know that, but have you ever noticed that in the natural, people lack social skills? (laughs) Right? I was thinking about that, and I, I I was thinking, you know, what do you do 
when you have somebody who lacks social skills, well, you find out why that is. The reason they lack social skills is because they don't see something and because they're being guided by an impulse that makes them antisocial. Right? I want to I say, for the record, it's fear. Fear is the primitive response of the sin nature. Fear is what creates separation. Fear is what causes us to step back. Fear is what gives us a sense of a need to hide, to cover, to pretend, to lie. All of these are devices fueled by fear. And that's why it says, you know, it's in Hebrew it says that the devil held the uns- that those that don't know God captive all their life through fear. Fear is the essential bondage. So you got somebody who is not very social, right? And I mean, oh, we, we need to get, we need to have more fellowship. We need to have more love in this body. We need to have, be a church that's loving. How do you do that? Well, here's what you do. You tell people how to say the right things so that they can have relationships. Yeah, you know, so it's, you know, you got a guy who's afraid of girls, right? So, well, what am I, I'm so afraid, what do I do? Well, you say this, then what? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, information of that sort only goes so far, it doesn't actually fix the problem. So we've done this. We've trained people, you know, as Christians, here's what you do when you're a Christian. You say these things to God. What's prayer? Well, it's you saying stuff like this. Okay, so you, I'll memorize the book, I'll memorize the prayers, I'll memorize the language, and then I'll do that. But real relationship is a lot more fluid than that. Isn't it? Real relationship is intuitive. It is, there's, this, there's this connectivity. There's a, it just it, it flows. It, you know, it's like, man, oh, she said, how are you? I, you didn't tell me what I was supposed to say in this situation. You know. I'll be right back. (laughs) Why? Because fear, fear keeps that connection from being normal, natural. And so when I run across believers who are stunted, either in the relationship with one another or the relationship with God, people that can't pray, people that can't really worship, people that that can't read the word and connect with revelation, all of these stunted areas, there is, there is something of a residue of what's there, when, you know, what started in the garden. And when Paul is saying, run the race, he's saying, listen, he, say, he said, it's all about knowing him, oh, that I might know him in the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. He's saying, you, if you just knew him a little bit more, this thing would be resolved in you. The principal thing, what this is really all about at the end of the day, well, I thought, it's, isn't it about evangelism? Yes, it's about evangelism. But evangelism isn't you writing four laws and going door to door and saying, did you know that, uh, and number two, right? It, it's, the world will be won by your love. And strangely enough, love is the antithesis of fear. Fear has torment, and perfect love casts out fear, making it possible for you to draw near to others and not have to recoil or feel awkward. 
Well, how do, how do we get a, you know, we need, to, we need to do this better. I'll tell you how we do it better. We, yeah, we could get a little program on how to talk to strangers. We could, we get, you know, evangelism, you know, five steps to evangelism. And, and, and some of those things are great as elementary sort of scaffolding, right, for you to confront your fear. But ultimately, you, we can do those things and not confront the fear that's created the condition that's responsible for our status. God wants to arrest the fear. And sonship, your adoption. What we're talking about this morning is in worship, our capacity to actually come in. All of your, your capacity to draw near to God is stunted by fear. I mean, this is why we have the imagery of that first encounter at Mount Sinai. Even Moses was, was terrified. But, but, you know, so there's these, these layers of proximity that we see. And I don't want to talk about it because I've talked about it so many times. But not everybody got to eat and drink with God. But some did and some didn't. Likewise with Jesus. Some were on the inner circle. There was the three. And there was the twelve. Right? Then there was the team that traveled with them. We don't even know how many that is. But there were some that were closer than others. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Do you want to be the disciple that Jesus loves? How do you do that? <laughs> Honest answer. Michael's like... <laughs> let me... Let me uh, let me, let me read a, an amazing passage of Scripture. Turn to Ephesians 3. I'm going to try and knit a couple of things together for us. I mean, this is, there's a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous understanding that, that Paul had that we don't have. He, he saw some things that we barely understand. So in chapter 3 of Ephesians, and it's interesting, Ephesians is the same passage where he talks about the mystery of, you know, I talk, you know, about the, the marriage. I talk, this is a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And he's talking about the mystery of fellowship. It's here in, uh, in Ephesians. But he does this whole thing here, and I, I'll probably read more than you can tolerate, but, but it's, it's so important. Try to soak it in as we're reading. And watch for, watch for some of the key words that we've mentioned already. Mystery, knowledge, revelation. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God which was given for me, uh, to me for you, how that, by revelation, he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already. Uh, that letter. That'd be nice to have, eh? The other letter he wrote to the Ephesians? That'd be cool. By which when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body 
and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. It's interesting, you know, when Paul throws in these little... I mean, think about this. Would you ever write this in your letter to a friend? I want you to know that we are, we are partakers of the same body, having the same promise of Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gifts of, of grace given to me by the effective working of his power. By the, according to what? By the effective working of his power. Why does he use that kind of language? Because he understands that grace is a word that you can just gloss over. That you don't really say, no, 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 I'm, I'm telling you, there's something that was imparted to me that's, that's powerful. It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. There's grace in it. There's gifting. The gifting works because of this power that was put inside of me by him. And there's an effective working of that grace. Father, I pray, God, we, we, we gloss over these words all the time. But Lord, I pray that we would begin to understand the deliberateness and the effective working of your power. But he says, to me who am less than the least of the saints, his grace, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see, and this is the part I wanted to go to, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to, um, by the church to principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith. So then he goes back in verse 14. He says, now he gets back. So for which reason I pray. Now, this is the third time here, if you go to 14, the third time he's talking about praying because in Ephesians chapter 1 he starts praying and then he there is there is a fellowship the mystery of fellowship the mystery of fellowship that word i know man it just i, f- I feel like some of your some of the minds are are like distracted we are looking intently right now into the one of the most powerful insights of the gospel of christ that you have been given access to God himself. But we don't use the access to its full extent because fear instead guides most of our paths. We do something marginally wrong. We have an imperfect thought. We have a a hard day. We we are, you know, and, and we step back because of the shame that that produces and the shame is because of fear if what if what if God sees me child who broke a lamp their dad comes home do they go running to the door hugging or do they wait in the basement in fearful trepidation fear defines our proximity fear and it doesn't just go with God. It's, it's with one another. And I just want to say this. 
I don't want the artificialness of knowing how to do the right things in the right time. You know, I, I mean, and I'm not here to, to point out anybody, so I won't be pointing anybody, but there are people that are terrified of having others in their home. There are people who are terrified of, of you know, cooking for somebody else. There are people who are terrified of having a conversation. We avoid it like the plague. It's like, you know, you say, have you ever seen somebody in the grocery store and you know they saw you, but they, you know. <laughs> like, I mean, it could be they're really busy and don't have time to talk, but, but sometimes there's just so many hurdles to get over. For con- hey, how, y- how you doing? Yeah, good to see you. Yeah, great day we're having. It's a great day. Well, see ya. Right? I mean, how bizarre is that? But we were made to have fellowship with one another. We were made to have fellowship with him. And, and we're awkwardly moving through these stages leaning on artificial protocols. You know, am I allowed to be in here? Is it okay if I'm in here? Is this room permissible? Okay. And, we, and I, I feel it like when sometimes, you know, Murray and I have this conversation as he's exploring these things about what it feels to be like an orphan in the, in the court of the king. He's done a little bit of writing about this. And so he, he sometimes he says, yeah, when I watch you, he says, it's like I'm watching a son access things, and it's like sometimes it just annoys me because I think, what makes you so special? He didn't say that. I'm, I'm, I'm filling in the blanks now. <laughs> but it's kind of like how I felt when one of my cousins talked to my grandma like she was his mom, and I talked to her in that awkward, distant way because I only saw her once a year. Say, hello, Grandma. Of course, it was all in French. You had to awkwardly ask for toast and butter. and I had nothing to say to her. He just, blah, 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 in and out. And I think, ah, he's so comfortable. Well, how does he deserve that? Why does he have that? Well, proximity. He's lived there. He's been in and out. He has toys in her house and clothes. And me, I'm op- operating this, you know, this, what am I not allowed to do? What should I do? What should I not do? See, you go to a business and you might have a boss who's the president of the company and, and you know, the, you have this power structure and you've got people who are on the, you know, the senior leadership team and then you've got others and, and uh, you know, then all of a sudden the son or the, the three-year-old son of the president runs in. He didn't, he didn't bother with any of the protocols. He has access that you even know about. Well, what happens is when you live by the tenets of fear, you're observing protocols, scriptural precedents and permissions and things about what you are and are not allowed to do, and you're, you sort of live this artificial thing with the Lord. I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, well, just pretend, oh, yeah, hey, pops, how you doing? No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. There's, a, there's, there's intimacy... And then there's presumed intimacy. But there is access for sons who aren't afraid that he is their father. And they do actually enter into something. 
Father, I pray, God, that doors would open today. God, we would begin to catch a glimpse of the different fear and the, and the way, Lord, we are separated, not by your design, but by what residual fear remains in our lives. God, I pray. Now, man, there's too much here. I, I'm going to have to skip ahead. What I really wanted to talk about here, so this place we start from is this fear, but I want to talk about where we end up in the end. And I want to give you a couple, just a simple marker for where we're going. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, yeah, it's in Ephesians. Isn't that great? In Ephesians chapter 4, oops, Ephesians chapter 4, he says, he says, so, um, he's talking about the gifts that he's given. I'll see where, I'll start reading in verse 10. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave himself, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now here's where we get the finish line. Here's an example of the finish line. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Now, let me rephrase this. Look at the second part, end of the knowledge. But let me say this. Till we all come to the, the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, which means complete, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And they said, after the next three verses are, once that happens, here's what won't be there anymore. So we are going to a place where we have a unity of knowledge. Let me tell you, there's not, one, there's not many Jesuses, there's one Jesus. And Jesus is one way. And you know what way that is? According to who he is. He is who he is. So if you, you know, you see this in a, a show where somebody says, you know, pretending to be a gang person, say, oh, do you know, so, do you know, Tony, he was in, uh, you know, the left side of the prison. Oh, yeah, Tony, with the scar above his, he didn't have a scar there. You mean the big guy? No. When you test pe- each other's knowledge to see you're talking about the same one. Jesus is not different people. He's one. So why do we have different ideas about Jesus go back to the starting when we took the knowledge of good and evil man was given a capacity to view things wrongly and the wrong of it and I can't get into it it's a whole sermon but the wrong of it is determined by what he wants to see men did what is right in their own eyes it's right in their own eyes so how does it become right to them? Because it's what I want. Right? Men call evil good because it's what I want. Right? The, the, the guys who, who get paid the same as, uh, you know, worked all day, the same as the guys who got, only worked an hour, they're mad at the owner. He says, is your eye evil because I'm good? So you're calling my good evil. I'm being generous. And now that's evil? Why? Because it wasn't generous to you. So what... At, so you're, you're now talking about a scenario, you're framing it, it's happened this way, why? Not because it, act, only one thing happened. You got a car accident, you got three versions of the car accident, but only one accident happened, and it only happened one way. And there's no 
your truth. There's what happened and what you hoped happened. Yeah, sure, that was a, a green light for me. Well, the video says otherwise. Wow, look at that, it changed. So the knowledge, the body of Christ, we are coming to the unity of the knowledge of Christ. What is that? Does that mean there's no diversity? No, absolutely, there's plenty of diversity. I don't even want to get into that. But it's the inability to get things wrong because you've come, you, you, you're sharing in the same knowledge. God is merciful, but he's holy. Well, which is it? Is he merciful? He's both. Why, why, is it, why is this important? Because the place we start from is ignorance of God, bound by fear, bound by shame, bound by pride, and everything that emotes from that. And we are on our way to getting clearer and clearer and clearer vision so that when it comes to scenarios like David's wife, we don't read the situation there. Because there's only one thing that's really happening there. But the purpose of everything you've been given is to bring you to a place so that we agree on the knowledge of Jesus. Now I'm just talking about, well, did he have a beard or a mustache? Was it brown or coffee? Uh, was it? I'm not talking about information that way, about revelation. You see, the, the beautiful thing about uh, John's relationship with Jesus is John had this capacity to lay his ideas down. He always laid his ideas down. John was a guy who had his own thoughts. He was a strong guy. Look at you know, how he interchanges with James. Yet when it came to Jesus, he didn't hold on to any of his own ideologies. He laid them down. And what that made for was intimacy. Intimacy. If you, if you, have you ever talked to somebody who's argumentative? <laughs> right? You gotta, you gotta, you're, you're married to somebody maybe who's argumentative? Or you, you have a friend that's argumentative? Well, you don't feel as close to them because there's always another version of the thing you're... You know, so I went to the store the day. You didn't go to the store. Okay. I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's an extreme version. But, but when, you, when you have that constant tension in conflict, it creates a lack of intimacy. Remember that time when you scratched my eyes out? You still have your eyes. How's that even possible? Well, you scratched them really hard. No, I didn't. You know, when you don't... The, our capacity for intimacy is based on a commonality of knowledge, beginning with the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of God. I encourage you, read this out. I can't do justice to all the scriptures, but the pursuit of God. Why is that prayer yesterday and fasting and worship so important? Because your interface, the numbers of times that you have been encounters with God, determine how quickly fear decreases from you. And as fear decreases, not as your intimacy with God increases, but your capacity to be in with others, to be able to come alongside, to join them. 
to be one spirit with them. There's a, there's a mystery here, but God is creating a people. I mean, literally, he says it. He said, I gave the fivefold ministry until you come to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. Wow. We could be like him. Actually. There's a bunch of other things I wanted to say, but Father, show us, help us understand, Lord, the feeling of fear, the friction of fear, the friction of competition, the friction of shame propelled by fear. God, so we can begin to distrust the voices in our hearts, the voices in our heads, the voices in our emotions that lead to death. Father, I pray, God, that this, this thing you've been invited, we've been invited into, God, that we would run into it on a pace, on a scale that has never been seen before. Thank you, Lord. Let me read one last thing. 1 John chapter 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you. So you too also may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So why were they sharing the gospel? So you can have fellowship with us. Unfettered access to our hearts. And that you can have fellowship with him because our fellowship is with the father and with his son if we say we have fellowship with him but walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin how can you say that if somebody continues in sin he's in darkness and does know God because to the degree that you've experienced really God, you are transformed and you don't sin. We can't hide behind legal language. Oh, I'm adopted. Yeah, but evidently you don't know him as much as you could because these behaviors, these thoughts, these, these, these paranoias, this fear, this distance, this inability to interact with God and his people shows me that there's a measure of knowledge of him that you are missing. The, the mystery of fellowship. He says, listen, I'm sharing this message so you, should have, you can have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Son and the Father. We could track your maturity by the quality of your fellowship, the quality of your intimacy. So please don't say, oh, it's not my personality. I don't like people. It's going to be a lot of them in heaven. <laughs> that need to withdraw is not born in, in heaven. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Let your grace fall on us. Anyway, uh, do you have something to share before we close? I, uh, I thought I saw you. I don't know if you can. Oh, there I am. Wow. In the last... <laughs> five, ten minutes here while Mark was speaking, I suddenly heard the sound of breaking glass. And the Spirit of the Lord is saying, glass ceilings are breaking at the speaking of this word. The expectation in your life now changes. 
where you've been at a distance and I haven't been able to touch it. The other thing that broke was the glass display case around some things. I saw like some art objects, like, like the, there's that Fabergé egg, like valuable things, but I saw the glass or heard the glass cases break. And so I'm just going to declare in Jesus' name that the, the treasures of God, the knowledge of God is opening in people's lives right now, right now, right now, yes. right now. Right now, right now, at, the, at this word, and as you're speaking now, Holy Spirit, the expectation changes. What is possible changes from this moment on. So God, I just declare a permission over this house to lean in and to reach. And, and like the permission you gave to Thomas, put your fingers in the holes. Touch. Handle me. I release that permission in this house to handle the Lord, touch him, experience him up close and personal in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we want to thank you for this day. And God, we, uh, we want to make the most of our moments with you. And so, Father, thank you for the invitation to be part of your family. And Lord, may the regard that you have for your family be the regard that we share. Lord, that we will uh, love your sons and your daughters. And Lord, that this is the evidence that we are your children, that we love one another. So Father, in Jesus' name, thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.